All right, what's up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Just Grow It. I am your host, Big City Gardener, and today I am joined by the chocolate botanist, the crazy botanist, Derek Haynes. <laughs> Would you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself for everybody, please? Well, sir, Timothy, that was such a phenomenal introduction. I am indeed Derek Haynes, the chocolate botanist, the crazy botanist, if you scientific, the chocolate botanist, if you nasty. And I am here for your botanical needs. Yes. All right. So I'm going to get straight into this, man. Are you an actual botanist? I read on your website that you are, but I need to ask you. I am. There's some people who will use the term botanist because they love plants and they are into it. But I graduated from North Carolina State University in 2017. I have my bachelor's of plant biology there, I work in the field. I work at a company called Medicago USA. We use tobacco to produce vaccines. So I am like legit a botanist in various ways. Okay. So I'm assuming since you went to school for botany, you have always had a, a thing for plants. Is that safe to say? Oh, yes. That is super safe to say. When did your love for plants begin? Mm. It's always been there. Like as a child, I have always been fascinated with plants. Like my earliest memories of playing with the other children that I grew up with, whether it's in the outskirts of Vanceboro or New Bern, was something related to plants. I just always found them fascinating. The flowers, the trees, just science in general and how things worked always intrigued me. I've always had a scientific mindset, which made me different than some of my peers because I was just fascinated with the world and just nature and, you know, learning, reading up on books on different plants or different tribal uses of plants or different animals, you know, blue-footed boobies and capybaras. That's always been in my world. But the plants, I've been fighting for them for as long as I can remember. Yeah, that's crazy because I think a lot of people who are into gardening or, or, yeah, really just into gardening, I think a lot of people forget that there is a whole science behind it. Oh, there is. Yeah, man. And you're an actual scientist. I am a whole actual scientist. That is correct. People, people sometimes it hits them. My pastor one day, I was in his office just chilling before Bible study. And it just hit him like in, in mid-right. He was writing out his message for the Bible. And it just hit him. like He was like, son? And I was like, yeah, Pastor, what's up? He said, son, you're a botanist. And I said, yes, I am. He said, son, you have a degree in botany. And I said, yes, yes, sir. I, that's, that's correct. Those are the words. That's the truth. You, you ain't lying. And he was like, I know a living black botanist. And it just, it blew him away. It just, it blew him away. And there's a lot of you all who I've talked to who are just like, whoa, like you are actual, like I know a legit botanist. Like it's not just looking back at George Washington Carver, which I appreciate all he's done, but they also can meet me and others like me who are black botanists and have some frame of reference. You're the first black botanist that I've ever met. Ah, when? <laughs> that to me is amazing because I know a lot of people, they're into agriculture and like I said earlier, they like gardening, but I think they forget all about like the job opportunities that come with like a botanist degree or a degree in botany. I think that happens, dear Timothy, because folks forget or they conglomerate agriculture, horticulture and botany into just this one abomination of, of things. And they're all different and they all have their beauty. So. I am nobody's agriculturalist. I can have a conversation with an agriculturalist because I understand tenants that would be sensical to them. But as far as me having a farm and land and doing all this big stuff, that's not me. Or a, a person producing plants on a large scale for selling, that's not really me. I am nobody's horticulturalist. Granted, these plants around me are sexy. I can make them grow phenomenally because obviously you had to take horticultural classes while taking getting a botanical degree and vice versa with um, the horticulturist. So you can kind of know the nuance therein. But as far as the true design and all that stuff, so it, it's hard for me to really make that work because that's more of a design mind than I typically have. I'm more interested in the history of these plants and what we use them for in their medicinal purposes, which is a part of botany. 
and plant biology, but even then it's such a big scope and a big range of things that I think just people oversimplify it, which I understand, but it shouldn't be. Yeah, I never thought about that, right? You're ta- you're telling me that people combine all three of those major, you know, like scientific studies or fields of study. And I never thought about it like that because I would assume that because you're a botanist, you can probably grow some amazing insert any plant name or crop here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I can do it. Like because and it's it's because once you botany is the study and the scientific study of these plants and their history. The, the classification, the social history we have with the plants, and even the understanding of the components of the plants, whether it's the physical things, like we talk about leaves and roots and shoots and all that stuff, to the more intrinsic part of the plants, which are the chemical pieces that can either be super beneficial or super harmful to us. Horticulture is more of we're getting the growth of these plants to optimize it. And we're growing these plants and designing them for beauty or for some reason that makes sense, like a pollinator garden or things like that. And then again, agriculture is I'm trying to feed a bunch of people. So I'm large scale growing a bunch of corn or a bunch of weed or a bunch of something in order to make it you know, work. And that can even go, the blending between all three of them can even go in different directions. Like those who are the houseplant growers or the floriculturists or those who grow the fruit, all the fruits that we need. There's different specialized areas that we all go into, but don't get it twisted though. I can grow some sexy plants. Grow it all. Okay. So when you were growing up, did you have somebody who, did you have examples of people who loved gardening that kind of pushed you towards gardening? Or let me not even say gardening. I'm sorry. Botany? Not really. Gardening, botany in general, not really. My grandmother did love plants. Um, her and my great grandmother were plant people. They enjoyed plants. So, my, I remember in growing up, my grandmother had this maybe thirty foot pothos that she had, and it was all over the kitchen. It was just this long, just forever long thing. But there wasn't really anyone directly in the family I could say that were like, "Hey, you know, we're horticulturalist, agriculturalist, any culturalist. Let's do this." It was that wasn't really the thing. It was just. I was an an oddball, really, for kind of getting this out of the blue, seemingly. Yeah. So then I know you said you liked plants and you always into science, but what led you down the path to say, I'm going to go get a degree in this? So as a child, you know, we have high hopes, right? And I wanted to be in my crazy world, a scientist, like a chemist and an engineer, And I was going to do all these things to fix the world and and heal the world. And later when I and I always had a fascination with plants and I was like, there there could be a way to use these plants to help us out. In my junior year of high school, we had a computer class and we had to create a presentation, a PowerPoint, basically saying this is what I want to be for my college major. This is what I want to be when I grow up, pretty much. And going through the Occupational Outlook Handbook that is available, you know, on the Internet from the government, the United States government, I ended up stumbling upon plant biology, this botany thing. And it was just like, this is it. Like, I've always loved plants. I, now, back growing up, it, I learned a lot of what not to do to grow plants because, you know, all of this technology that exists now where you can go to a TikTok real quick or YouTube, MySpace back in the day, wherever so you can go. I didn't have none of that growing up. Granted, we had the internet, but it wasn't like I was on it. So I learned a lot through a lot of trial and a whole bunch of error of what not to do to grow these plants and what to do to grow these plants and how I can, you know, make my own little shortcut. And seeing again that botany thing really touched me. And I was like, this is it. I have to do this. So again, following some trials and tribulations, I ended up getting to NC State, North Carolina State University. And I was like, I'm doing this and I'm glad I didn't turn back. Yeah. So what was it like when you started at school? Were there any other black botanists or any other people studying, you know, studying botany that were that were black? Were we the only one? It felt like I was the only one. Now, granted, I started my academic career for college at a community college, local community college, Craven CC back home in New Bern. Once I got to state about two years later, 
And maybe if I had started freshman year, I would have been able to, at state, I would have been able to see more or notice more um, Black people within that field. But it really felt like I was pretty much the the raisin in an avalanche um, because it was just so, and so many white people. And nothing against them. It's not like anyone was hateful. But I would often see those of Asian descent or, again, white folk in the field. And, again, it worked in my favor because I'm the one Black guy, I felt like, so they always knew who I was. But it was a unnecessarily lonely. I did see a professor, Dr. Terry Long, I believe her name is, and she was, I never had her as an actual professor, but she is a person that I did run into, and I think her also acknowledging, even though she never said it, I'm assuming her acknowledging the whiteness of that that school, that school of plant biology, and now plants and microbial biology. She basically tried to, you know, keep up with me as she could. So she would, you know, she see me in the hallways or she see me somewhere. Hey, Derek, how you been? Da, 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 da. And even when I had to take a long break because of finances and academic stuff and all this other stuff going on in my life, she really like she doesn't I don't I've never told her this, but she was so impactful because she was able to remember me four or five years later. I've never taken a class with you. All of our conversations may total to under an hour of talk, but you were able to still be able to recall like Derek, it's you. I've seen you and it wasn't something forced or. I have a name tag on and she just seen that, but it's like sincere. I'm so glad to see you back here. You know, if you need anything, let me know. Like that was phenomenal. So after school, what was your plan with the botany degree? Originally, I had a plan. I was going to start some type of organization to heal the mind, the body and the soul with plants, some type of therapy, some type of medicinal botany, you know, combo platter of things. But in short, it was either that or being somebody's researcher, because there just didn't seem to be a lot of options within the area. And granted, there's a lot of different research you can do to be a researcher or a scientist in the area is vast. I know that now, but at that point, I was just kind of lost because I was like, I don't I haven't been able to connect with businesses like others. The internships I've had haven't seemed to really be super profitable like they were profitable for a time but they haven't really led me down any big things you know like some of my peers so i was just kind of i had an idea but i was really just doing like i generally do i kind of have a general idea and i wing it yeah i I seem to do the same thing in life it's hard to have like a set plan because life changes things happen it does it really does and i'm still in shock that you're the first black botanist that i've met and i think it's dope thank you Man. All right. So do you like, are you more of a houseplant person or a, let's say, annuals, vegetables kind of guy? I'm actually split down the middle. I love these houseplants because during the winter, especially, and if it's cold outside and I'm here in North Carolina, zone 7B, for those who want to know, 7B, kind of 7B, 7A, depending on what part of the state I go to. But when it's colder, anything below 70 degrees, I don't want to be outside for (laughs) nothing. Okay. So indoor plants give me something to tinker around right. with while the ra- the ravages of fall and winter come and take over. Now, once it's spring, summer, and it's getting, you know, up there, and even if it's climbing to the 60s and I know it's going to be sunny or something, I can go out there and see all of my outdoor plants, my loofahs, my gourds, my tomatoes, casters, whatever I'm growing. There's some things I grow every year, but whatever I'm growing and just deal with them because I love things that I can eat or make a tea with, make some product with, or can just be able to look at. I do love like roses and flowers because I'm a flower man. It's a healthy mix. Okay. Okay. I like it. Thank y'all. So you say that you study the medicinal benefits or you did study the medicinal benefits of certain plants. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Ethnobotany is the technical term. Ethnobotany. Yep. Ethno meaning society and people. Botany is plants. So you put them all together. The study of plants and people and our historical uses, basically, um, I think Michael Pollan is a big, beautiful author and botanist to put this together, how we in- interact with plants and how plants interact with us, because it's kind of like a two-way street. So we impact them and they impact us. And it's kind of this circular 
and that's not really circle circular there we go feeding motion okay yeah 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 so do you study like specific cultures and the herbs and plants they used in that society yeah, in school, we did a lot of work on just seeing like this group of people or these groups of people use this plant for X, Y, Z. I mean, these are the chemicals in the plant that are responsible for X, Y, Z, or these are the genii groups of plants that are responsible for X, Y, Z, or they have X, Y, Z, or religiously these were used for X, Y, Z, or this plant caused this war, or was, you know, different historical just tidbits and factoids. So when I am I'm seeing a play and I'm seeing a name, there's times where I'm like, hmm, I wonder where that common name came from. Or if I see an article on like NPR that's like, you know, um, Wonder Head was psychedelic mushrooms and Santa Claus pretty much and how they were implying that Amanita muscaria, which is fly agaric, a type of mushroom that we see in all types of Pop culture, from Mario, the mushroom he eats, little red and white mushroom he eats to get bigger, to Alice in Wonderland, to all types of other just it's background mushrooms. Generally, when they show mushrooms and it's a red and white mushroom, it's always an Amanita. And they think that that was something that was used to impact Santa's uniform as far as him being red and white. So things like that are like interesting to me because I'm like, it's amazing how these plants shifted people, moved people, created cultures, created lore, and there's just so much that's going on. So I, I love it. it was, that's my Jimmy Jam. So did you notice that there were herbs or plants that overlapped between all of the cultures that you would study? Not that I can remember, to be honest. There may have been some, because there are, and I should say, there's not I can think of right now but I do know with the way plants are widespread, there's been times where different cultures have came to the same conclusion as all the cultures did that, you know, we can all breed this plant to be edible and we use this plant here or this plant here, you know, if I inhale these fumes, I go on a trip and I have visions and such. So there's not anything I can think of now, but I do know and do believe that is a truth. I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear about like a crazy plant that I don't know anything about. A crazy plant you don't know anything about. Hmm. Let's see. What is one I can think of that most people don't know about? I don't have one right now. Because you grow loofahs, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. What's that with the red with the red stem or the red leaves? Oh, this pink princess philodendron. That that one. What's that? Now see, now see, I forget you was an outdoor gardener, but every indoor gardener knows what a pink princess is. So they're gonna see this. This is a philodendron. So pink princess philodendron. It's scientific name. I'm not sure. It's philodendron something specific epithet. I could Google it right now, but I'm not even gonna give you all that satisfaction. <laughs> Google it yourself, people watching this. Watch it and listen. Google this yourself right now. But this beautiful plant, again, us influencing something and something influencing us. We look at this plant and some people look at this plant and they're like, hey, okay, this is all right. But some of us look at this and we're like, look at this little bit of pink up here. And some leaves are all pink. Some leaves have more pink than others. And we love this plant and we cultivate this plant and we care for this plant, whether it's through cuttings and clippings and propagations. We care for any of these house plants. And we make them survive. Now, I can think of a little bit of a lore to talk to you about, yeah. but I don't know how, what the uh, adult, the content rating of, of this here podcast. So I need. We don't even have a rating. You, you we, as real as you want to be. As real as I want to be. Beautiful aura for real. So all of us have seen and heard of the lore of witches riding on broomsticks right yes so anytime you think of a broomstick and a witch you see it in all types of decor and decoration um and this is something i learned from doctor i think his name was robert beckman at nc state he was a phenomenal teacher and i hope he's doing well he was sick near the end of the class and he just was an awesome just cool white man but when we think of witches riding brooms we never really think of why. Now, granted, there are some hoodoo Gullah cultures, some voodoo, some other religious and spiritual customs 
that relating to brooms and sweeping and stuff like that. But when it comes into these witches riding these brooms, we have to go back into what those people did at the time. So those people would use plants that were mostly in the nightshade family, those solanaceae, as we would call them. So when you think of nightshade and those plants in the family, we would think of uh, eggplants, we would think of tomatoes, you would think of potatoes and tobacco. Okay, and then we would think into actual nightshade. They would use hemlock and other plants that were either poisonous and or psychedelic in nature, and they would brew them in their witch's cauldron. So they, there's this big pot, this stock pot of just stuff, this, this botanical gumbo that they would put all of these plants in. Following putting all these plants in and cooking for X amount of however long, they would stir it up and they needed a way to input this potion within them. The taste was such where you don't want to drink it, right? They are looking for um, witches already, right? Because if you got cuts and bumps all over you, again, this is back in a time where I'm sure if needles did exist, it wasn't something you could just go to the Walgreens because there wasn't a Walgreens back then. So these women needed a way to insert this potion that they made into themselves. And the broom helped. So they would put that potion onto the broom. And that wooden broom handle, they would then just inject it right into their genitalia. Right. Bingo bongo, witches are riding brooms. And some of those psychedelic effects would make you feel as if you were flying. Bro, this is the best story. There you go. So the whole thing about Halloween witches riding brooms, you just broke it down. Ta-da. You got another one of those stories? That one was great. You have another... Oh, let's see. Jack-o'-lanterns, before they were pumpkins, they used to carve turnips. So turnips were something that they used to carve because in the area where the custom was done, and it's been a while since I've looked this up, but in the area where the custom was done, pumpkins weren't really a widespread thing. So pumpkins weren't really available and widespread. So turnips were used as the original jack-o'-lanterns. But now we use it instead of the ward away the spirits or any of those things, some of us use them just as crazy Halloween decor. The mushrooms we talked about, Anita muscaria, the fly garrick, they would put this mushroom into a cup of milk. Because again, back in the day, you just can't go to the store and buy raid, you know, however long ago, centuries ago even. You would just have to do whatever worked. So this mushroom would be put into a glass of milk. The flies would drink the milk and then it would basically paralyze them. So they would fall into the milk. Once they fall into the milk, they're pretty much dived in, splash, you know, and they're drowning and they die. Bingo, bongo, you kill flies. So that's why it's called fly, Garrick. There's a couple other plants that I've heard of recently that they use for that. And of course, cotton was a beautiful plant that the white folk of yesteryear needed to, for all of their clothing needs when they basically came in here into the Americas and knocked all the Native Americans over the head either physically or through rape and assault. Right. It's a very horrible thing, but you know, I try to make it as candid as possible. And that plant and the desire to have riches for themselves ended up being a driving force, not the, but a driving force for the American slave trade, where folks who were my descendants, and I'm assuming yours, were brought here forcibly to these United States to work. They ended up getting those people who are of Gullah and Geechee descent, who ended up doing some of the largest terraforming of those swamps by hand in order to do those rice fields. So imagine you have a group of people uprooting trees, roots, and rocks with no large machinery, but you're doing it with your own two hands, lefty and righty, and whatever small tools Massa might have gave you. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about that, that's very, um, I don't know. I don't necessarily like to think about that. I try not to because I'd get very angry and I'd be angry all the time. But I revere those, my people of the past, ancestry, those who were around them or whatever, because they were able to survive and they were able to make it. And with plants. And we used to be able to easily pardon, say, like, okay, if I had this going on, Again, we couldn't necessarily go to the Dollar General and just buy stuff, right? So they would have the accessibility to say, these plants can do X, Y, Z. I can grow these plants and I can get this and they can make their own products. 
And when we think about it, you know, they had to learn this from either watching other people or just, you know, the scientific process, you know, which is basically effing around and finding out the hypothesis. I hope this plant can help me feel good. And then your conclusion is either I'm dead I'm feeling better or I feel indifferent. Yeah, <laughs> I love that aspect, right? I love, and I think it's kind of sad that a lot of knowledge seems to have been lost about the power in plants and the power in certain herbs. It's very sad indeed. Yeah. So had I known that, I see, I didn't know that you could go to school to be a botanist. I never really thought about that. But if I could redo my life, that's probably the direction that I would go in. I love to hear it. And just study all about plants every day. Uh, it was fun. And the other class I had to take, organic chemistry and physics, weren't. But the rest of it was mostly fun. It was a lot of cool stuff. All right. So when did you start? When did you first get on Instagram and start the crazy botanist or the chocolate botanist? So the crazy botanist was originally botanical.highlander. And I started that page, I think, September... 29th of 2018, 29th of 27th, one of them days, sometimes September, October, November, one of them times of 2018. And it was just something where I used to work with a, a community garden that helped to start. And in frustration, I would try to tell people like, hey, I'm doing this or using the square foot gardening method. And they'd be like, oh, that ain't going to work. Or I'm growing loofah. And they're like, oh, that ain't going to grow anything. And it was difficult because these were Black folks I revered, but I understood that sometimes older African-Americans, they're only used to seeing something one way. So they don't think anything else that's a different way is going to work. And I've had to get my family and those people eventually into knowing, like, if I'm trying something, it may work. Like, it doesn't have to be your way. So it started off with a fight against traditionalism. And really me being frustrated and saying, I'm just a crazy botanist. I don't know what I'm talking about. A dear friend of mine was like, you need to put, to make that into um, an actual business. And I was like, I don't know. Nobody wants to hear from me. And yet here we are like three or so years later. But I literally just started with just random plant pictures I've had. And it evolved into me as the scientific communicator, the chocolate botanist. That's so dope. So what are your thoughts on the, or have you seen the social media gardening, I don't want to call it game, but the atmosphere, the people involved with it, have you seen it change since you first got on in 2018? And can we say that you started it on September 25th? Because that's my birthday, so that would be cool if you started on 25th. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What was I thinking? It was the 25th. It was showing up the 25th. It was. You're right. I don't, uh, duh. It was definitely the 25th. How has it shifted? I have seen more Black folk than I used to when I first started this. And it's not to say that they weren't there, because a lot of pages have existed. And just due to the, the nefarious machinations of social media, these algorithms and the intrinsic racist things that hold us back as Black folk and Brown folk in general. It, it was difficult for me to really find people. Once I started finding like black men with gardens, black girls that garden and all the other plethora of pages, black with plants and everybody else, it was like, there's really a heap of us black people who are doing this. It became from a thing of me seeing my page being so white because it just always seemed like no black person wanted to be botanical, horticultural, whatever have you to me being like excited to go to a black pop-up in Charlotte, which is like a couple of hours away. Or again, me being on lovely podcasts like yours or Jade or the lovely Cola. And so the awesome Travis, I'm trying to remember all the black podcasts I've been on. If I forgot your name, it is not my fault. I'm not doing this on <laughs> purpose, but and it, it's something where I got to really see people who are growing, and even during this plantemic, as it's been termed, I, it's been so amazing for me to see beautiful Black people return to gardening or start gardening for the first time. And I love it. And this is where, you know, again, I try to show off all of these beautiful house plants, you know, all of these ones that are sexy that are near me, and my beautiful patio, which I haven't showed off in a while. 
to show people like, Ayo, you can be doing some gardening and you can get this piece. You can grow this piece. Yes. Yes. Hey, so you mentioned that whether it was there weren't a lot of black people on there or whether it was Instagram or whoever kind of silencing the the movement. Why do you think it is that there are or so few black people interested in agriculture, horticulture or botany? Hmm. Sometimes when I talk to people about, you know, plants and stuff, we they instantly go into slavery. They instantly go to, you know, I ain't no slave. I ain't going to be out there picking no cotton. And it's like, okay, great. But without farmers, specifically black ones, especially without farmers, you don't eat. You know, whether you go to a farmer's market or somebody's big box store, somebody grew that food. Right. And there is a, a stability in that because we all need to eat. Two people may not like tomatoes, but five will. Five people may not like squash, but seven will. So there's needing, there's that needing to feed and that money could be returning to us, which even goes deeper in the conversations of land ownership. There's some black folk who just, they're like, I can't grow anything, you know? And I run into this with all types of people. It doesn't matter, but black folk were like, I can't grow anything or, you know, the older generations were like my grandmother's age and the um, other people I mentioned in the nonprofit who they grew up and mama and daddy had a farm. So before school and after school, you had to do this farm work. And there was a point they said, I ain't never doing this again. And when I can run away from here, (laughs) when I can get from around here, I'm not going to do it. And listening to people, you know, my grandfather's told me stories of, you know, you're waking up and, you know, you're doing this and that. Other people have told me stories of you riding the truck to sell the crabs and you smell like seafood every day. And he was like, I used to like it when I rode the horses. But once I got old enough, they had me lifting boxes and doing this. And again, that work was necessary because, again, our ancestry of yesteryear needed the children to do something, right? I mean, farmers right now need the children to do something. That's that's free labor. Right. But there was a lot. There was a generation that just said, we are escaping from this. There has to be something better. And they left. And that, I think, shook us into disarray because that leaving that abandoning of that that vibe which whether you did it or not I'm not hating on you but it's just something that left a group of us trying to pick up the pieces now granted I'm planting so I just played around on stuff until I learned what not to do I still do that now but there's a, again a lot of generations who are like shocked when they see corn growing or tomatoes growing or peppers or what's this what's that and I'm like, well, smell it, touch it, like feel it, like experience this thing. And they see it's mint or rosemary or other things like that. So I think that's the reasons why Black folk have kind of backed away from it. And it's, again, not something only intrinsic to us, because I've heard this from members of the other races, our peers in other races. But it's something that I know has hit us, especially when people remember the ugly thing that was slavery. Right. And how we were forced to farm and agriculture and do anything else. And that's kind of a shell shock for some people, especially when we talk about even black cotton farmers. So how do we reverse the, I don't know, the stigma, the trauma associated with gardening, agriculture, farming, and I don't know, kind of push or inspire people, younger people to get involved? It takes simply creating a space for people to commune around plants, whether that is a community garden, whether that is your back patio that you have some pots on, your second floor, I got a second floor patio here, I have a bunch of plants, whether it's your indoor sunroom, right? It just simply takes that cultivation and then the ability to give people stuff. I will give folks seeds, soil, I'll paint pots for people, I will go and help people start their gardens. Some most people who are friends and close friends, I'll do it for free. If you ain't, you know, don't hear this and then be like, Derek, why are you doing this for free? But there's people who, if we are connected with, then we should be able to connect with them in a sense of getting them into this plant journey, jumping them in, right? And again, even if that's something like giving people plants, like when I'm dating and I'm really interested in somebody, I'll gift a plant. You know, here's a plant. They're a plant everywhere, a plant, plant. If I have some friends and family, my family really loves plants, I'll gift them plants. Now, granted, they kill some of them because they don't, they don't really follow directions, but I gift them a plant 
because it's like let me let me feed into this so you can have this thing this this chunk of peace I have. So if you get as a friend of mine says a corner of hope, I give you this corner of hope, and this corner of hope is this one plant. You don't have to have two three hundred plants in this house and outdoors like I do. What you could have a corner of hope. And with that corner of hope, you can then say, okay, I can cultivate this. I can be good. I can have these fresh tomatoes. I can be good. And even then, for those who don't want to grow or can't grow for whatever reason, if you have somebody's produce you're growing, give somebody a fresh tomato or a fresh bell pepper. Give them a sprig of, of rosemary. Like, I love taking people to the community, one of the community garden I volunteer with and being like, here's the communal beds of herbs. Take some. Like, here's, they were giving away my fungi or whatever, here's some, you know, take some of this. Give them bell peppers or squash or anything and say like, here you go, here is this food and I grew it, you should come and see it sometimes. And again, some people may never come, they may just only want to get the free stuff, but there's some people who will come out and they will see it and they will check it out. And that's what we have to do. We, we have to, as planting people, reach out and grab those who ain't planting or could be planty, or potentially planty, were planty, whatever. And then those who are like, oh, I can't grow anything. I got a black thumb. Like, okay, great. All of us do. All of us have something that we kill. If you look at any of your favorite Instagram people, there is something that they may not show you that is dead. I have at least two or three dead things behind me now. Okay. But I'm hiding them because that's none of y'all's business. But there's things that die. Yeah, it's a part of it. In this house. And that's okay. Because once I kill something enough, I learn what to do. That's true. I know that right now I look out of my door and I see a bunch of dead plants in pots on my patio. I mean, I'm not going to show them to the world, but they definitely do exist. I hate that. I hate the thought process when people say, like you said, I have a black thumb. I can't grow anything as if it's some superpower, right? Or as if it's like- It's not. As if it's it's like, a, I don't know, a talent. I don't know, what am I trying to say? You don't have to be LeBron James, right? You don't have to be 6'8", 240, and just a, a crazy specimen that probably won't be reproduced again, right? Any regular person can do this. Any average Joe or Josephine can do this. And that's the thing that is astonishing because I often tell people, like, I can help you grow anything. All you have to do is follow instructions. Follow instructions and ask questions. If you can do those two things, then you can do that. If you can sit and you have learned how to use TikTok or Instagram, any of these social media things that are ever-changing, you can grow a plant. Let's just be real here because that just literally takes you knowing, as I tell people, is the soil wet or dry? Where do you have this plant at? These are the basics, you know, and then keep it moving. Like, this is what you can do in order to uh, increase your growth or decrease it or whatever. And then these are some of the things I used. And then again, because I used to be broke and poor, as I would say, and I didn't have a lot of money, I couldn't afford a lot of the stuff I have now. So I still know and remember like, okay, well, this is how you can jump in and get this for free or this for cheap or make this happen or whatever have you. And you, or you could use this on a budget or, you know, anything you like. It's, it's so easy at times to just make it work and to get your plants out there. Again, even if you're just getting a couple of seeds and people are like, well, I don't want to where to buy seeds. You ate a tomato that tasted real good. That's phenomenal. Save those seeds. I'll tell you how. You had a bell pepper that was the best bell pepper you ever had. That's beautiful. We're going to dry those seeds out. We're going to save them. And then you're going to plant them like this and do like so and like that and like this and like such. And then now you got your own peppers. Yeah, that's so true. It, it's so easy. That's so true. Go back to what you said about creating a, a safe space for people where they can come and kind of explore the plant world. I think that's one of the best things about social media that might not really get talked about. I'm not the biggest fan of social media, but I love the fact that I could help not just me, you, anybody can help motivate the next person to kind of hop in and be a part of something that I love, you love, we all love. That is the truth, Ruth. Social media connects us all, and that's just where I love it. During this pandemic, it's hard to get out and see people. I'm not really a people person anyway, but it's, it's so easy to be able to connect with folks and to see what people are doing and to try what they do. And again, for those who are like not planting or trying to get in, 
I can't tell you how many free things people have sent me. <laughs> and not just because they want me to show it on my platform. Some people do, but there's other people who are like, oh, you mentioned you want to grow glass corn. Well, I'm going to send you grass corn seeds and this and that and the other. Oh, you mentioned you wanted to go sorghum. That's funny. I did a lab where I grew sorghum breeds. You know, I have a friend who created the stevia gene, uh, cultivar that they use for Pepsi. Okay. And he has all types of stevia plants. And if I ever, and even though I've asked him a couple of times and I'm, you know, I ain't been over there to pick them up, you know, so that's, I'm not going to be, that's too bad on him, but I'm, I'm going to be hard on him next time. But I could ask him for something and like, boom, I got it. If I want seeds and other stuff like bushels, the seeds of the gourds y'all see me grow last year, the giant gourds, those I got seeds from him. He told me his little tricks and tricks on what tips and tricks on what to do. And I love it. I'm happy. So social media is such a beautiful thing. It is. It took me a while to really understand that and to see that. But it gets me to talk to people like you, right? It gets me to meet my first black botanist. I can tell that's touching you. <laughs> oh, man. I, I just think anytime I, I meet a first of something, that means something to me. I understand. I feel it's the same way. Yeah, man. Damn. All right. So you said you're a part of a community garden. I would like to hear your thoughts on community gardens. Do you like them? Dislike them? What are they like in your city? I love them. So here in Durham, North Carolina, and even in the Raleigh area, they are beautiful. I love them because they give and they offer a way for people to have intergenerational communication. Community gardens give play an opportunity for intergenerational communication. So they allow for us to be able, us as people of various ages, to be able to communicate with folks of all ages, all persuasions, all backgrounds. So it is a water, a watering hole, a canteen spot, if you will, that can connect us all, which is phenomenal. I love the fact that community gardens can be used to give spaces for people who may not be able to afford land or who've been historically kept out of affording land and having land because you can have your plot for however many dollars a month and say, you know, this is my area and you grow your things. And again, if you're somebody who's like, I don't know how to grow anything, then you can meet people who are generally knowledgeable and can share you that knowledge, right? So there, there's that. Now, there are some people who I generally will caution and say, well, hey, you know, gardening is outside. So, I, and people, they will be like, well, duh, Derek is outside. But I'm like, well, you know, it's outside all the time. So when you get off of work <laughs> and it's a hundred degrees outside, like it can be here in North Carolina. And it's not, you know, just a hundred degrees of dry heat because a hundred degrees, 106 degrees in Las Vegas felt amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No humidity over there. Not a stitch. So I was like, this is like 75, 80 degrees. Like I can do this. But here, 100 degrees, as it was 90 something a day, I'm like, this is hot. My breath feels like it's on fire through this mask. Somebody stop this. God, whatever you cook it, it is finished. Cut the oven off. But it's like that during that time, during the winter, when it's ice cold, if you're growing any winter crops or fall crops, when it's raining, like there's stuff out there and more so, especially here in North Carolina. There's a heap of insects and rodents and pests and other things that live outside. And I see on these social media groups, there are some people who are like, you know, basically trying to sanitize the outdoors because for some reason they just think they just going to raid every bug and insect. And I just watch it. And I'm like, some of y'all, if I tracked it, I could tell you when you started changing your environment because you ain't God and you done messed everything up. Yes. So you got rid of the spiders and then now all the other insects are coming in because you got rid of the spiders. And now that's attracting the frogs or the rats. And now that you got rid of them, you, you got them around. Now the snakes are coming in. Now the snakes ain't probably poisonous at all. But now you're trying to kill all the snakes. And now it's just, if you gave a mouse a cookie, you got to give it a glass of milk. You're doing all of this extra stuff. When If you just leave well enough alone outside, you're good, right? Right. Or if the people, again, who are like, oh, they're so excited about gardening, but then it's hot outside and they get dirty and they ain't happy no more. It's like, okay, great. But you should have known this. So I try to tell people like up front, like this is what it is, because I've seen some people who are so excited about gardening, who are so excited about plants, who are so excited about doing somebody's community garden, having a bed, and they pay for a bed that they leave mostly bare and they do nothing with because they just got busy. And it was just like that instant gratification that some of us are used to wasn't there. Right. So then on the flip side of that, you know, on the flip side of that, that's when I just tell people like, 
get some herbs and get started, like basils, things that aren't super invasive like mint or oreganos. Get some of those things that are already pre-started, put them into your bed, grow your other things you're going to grow from seed. So that way, at least when you come out here, you can look and see like, oh, and you smell it, you touch it, you got your lavender, you got your basil, you got your lemongrass. You go and do whatever you got to do. So I, overall, again, I love community gardens. There's just times where I have to be like, hey, let's have a reality check person that is coming out here for the first time. Let's let's talk about the highs and then the reality of all this, too. No, I think that's smart. I think a lot of people, especially with social media and, and you mentioned instant gratification era that we live in, people expect gardening, something like gardening to also give you that instant gratification. And it's supposed to be the complete. Lord, I wish it did. No, nah, it's like the opposite. It's a throwback to the way things used to be where you had to have patience and wait things out. Yeah, you have to. Because for the back in the day, especially with survival, whether you were trying to sell these crops or grow them. And granted, there were people who did things just for, you know, kicks and giggles and the, the aesthetics of it all. But it was a lot more survival oriented at one point. And I think if we get to that place of, you know, cultivating the gardens, then we could take time to cultivate whatever else we need to within us. That's the truth, man. That's how there it is. That's one of those gardening is deeper than just soil. It connects to life and everything. All of that. All of that. Hey, in uh, North Carolina, are a lot of the community gardens are or are any of the community gardens Black owned or are they mostly owned by nonprofit organizations like donating money? So the ones I've seen are nonprofit oriented or owned by the county. So the one I used to be a part of, there was two actually I was a part of before the one I'm with now. They were all black. One was started by a local church and started with a nonprofit and it was a black founded, black, mostly black run nonprofit that ran that community garden. That community garden, I don't believe exists anymore. Like the land is still there, but it's not being utilized. The second one I was a part of is again, another black founded nonprofit I helped to found following the other one, my departure from the other one. And they are still existent in North Durham. And then the last one is pretty much white owned because I'm assuming again, the county were white people who kind of found all of this. So, yeah, I've seen a healthy mix. There are some times where refugees from like Myanmar, Burma will have these community gardens and they'll just do something informal. There's times where other people will do things informally. But I think a lot of people, especially here in North Carolina, know of the different grants that are available. And it's just easier to have access to those funds as a nonprofit. Okay, okay. I know here in Houston, sometimes some of the nonprofits or some of the people just in general, they'll build all of these community gardens, but they won't have any connection to the community. So then the gardens just kind of sit there vacant. I've seen that. There's times where I've seen a community garden in the past not benefit its community as much as it could. And the plots weren't really vacant because they were being utilized, but it was being utilized by people who may already have land or who could have just grown in pots on their patio versus growing you know there and it's nothing to say like not to have both because again like do you but if you're a community garden that is not benefiting the community the garden is located in you're just a plot of land with people growing plants like you're not really helping people and like with the one i'm with now that's ran by the county that food is grown there will go to of course those who are there helping out and doing stuff but it'll also go to the local, I'll just say a projects that are in the area that are kind of around or those older who are in the older generation who may volunteer with that community garden, they may get some of that food. So it's benefiting the people and even more so it'll go to the community college, Durham Tech, food bank, some of the food will go to, some of the food will go to the local Durham County food bank that's ran by the cooperative extension. So if you're not touching people, Y'all are just out here digging in dirt. Yeah. And taking the grant and using the grant for something that I feel like is, is not really what they wrote on the grant application. Oh, you have to legal there. You can't play them games. Hey, man, I read in your bio that you are an author. Is that true? Oh, uh, yeah, to a certain extent. I have uh, our dearest Dereal had me and I'm so appreciative of him. I have to hit him up because I haven't heard from him in quite some time. 
But when I first started this page, this chocolate botanist, crazy botanist page, he hit me up and wanted me to write an article. It was like a Q&A. So I did that for with him. And then Tea Assembly had me write an article where I wrote about Planet Air Alert, where I wrote about kind of pollution and what we need to do to kind of fix the world to a certain extent. So that is my four way into offering. Granted, I do write short stories and stuff like that. I am extremely creative, but that is my four way into offering currently. I do want to do some other stuff, but I'll announce that all in the future. I know you're creative. I see your, uh, <laughs> I see that the IG posts that you put up and I see the TikToks that you do, man. And I love them. I love the energy and the passion that you bring for gardening. Oh, thank you. I'm great. I thank you so much, sir. I shouldn't have said gardening. I should have said energy and passion for the love of plants. It's all of it. And I am still appreciative because I fight for the plants. I love them and they love me. Yeah, man. Can you briefly touch on, you just said counter pollution. You mentioned counter pollution. Can you talk about a couple of things we could do that just a regular, anybody listening to this or watching this, they could do to help kind of help the environment? So one thing that folks can do is, so we talked about people who are out there trying to sanitize outdoors. So when you decide that you're going to garden and you go outside and you see those insects and you're like, I got to get rid of all these bugs. The first thing you got to do is go into your house, look yourself in the mirror, take your dominant hand and smack yourself across the face. Now, once you do that, you go back outside and you leave them bugs alone. Because the thing is, the ecosystem that exists outside of your home was there before you moved into that house, before that property was established and built. Because God bless it, it is all nature. And if we mess it up, you mess it up in your neighborhood, you aren't thinking and considerate of the impact that could have. If you go out and you spray rain on everything. Everything? Everything. Ev all things. Everything. And you go and you get the most powerful pesticides you can get to kill all the bugs. Then you may take out all the bees in your neighborhood all the bees in your in your yard and then you wonder why some of your stuff isn't pollinated so it's kind of like what are you what are you looking for because there's some people who are like well i don't want any bees but you're trying to grow strawberries or you're trying to grow roses and you want rose hips or you want elderberries or you want other things that are pollinated by somebody's pollinator and not wind pollinated or just self-pollinating like you you can't have it that way you want to have no insects but you're also getting rid of all the spiders. And I get a lot of us have fears of spiders. Black widows are dangerous. The bottom recluse is dangerous. Okay, good. I get it. I get it. I understand. But you can't go out with an intention of really committing a genocide on all of the insects that you see, all the arachnids you see because of reasons. I cannot stand anybody's roach or lizard. And I am at a place in my life when I was younger, I would just go out and mass kill anything that I would see. But I'm at a place now where I'm like, if you are not bothering me in my house and you're not trying to come into my house, then you're good. I caught, now granted, once you're in the house, unless you're a bee or a wasp, you going on with Jesus, right? But if I see like a, a lizard outside, I have a bucket of water, I just throw the bucket of water, it falls off the patio. It's small enough to survive. It's going to be okay. The roaches I see, they scurry away. I, you know, fall over something trying to get away from them. And they go on about their way. Mice, rats, rodents. If I see any of them, guess what? I'm just going to walk away because that's their area now. But if it's not causing me severe impact, especially on my plants, I'm good. So we, there has to be a place where we learn to vibe with nature. And then that'll bring us closer into understanding like, okay, when I tell people, hey, don't use all that miracle grow outside in your plants. And it's not just to be organic, but it's that if that rinses out of your plants and gets into the waterways and cause these nasty algal blooms, red algal blooms, and those algal blooms end up basically sucking all the oxygen out of the water because all this algae is excited, has all this food, all the things that need that oxygen, that water are dead. And then that water pretty much is just like stagnant and, and death, for lack of a better term, because... I really wanted my roses to look big, so I threw miracle Grow on everything. Again, I used to be, I'd be the same way. There's still some times where I'll go out and use a little bit of a quick, inorganic, water-based uh, fertilizer and stuff. But I've been moving more towards slow releases because, again, I can still get the same result. I just have to plan different. So I've, I've learned to alter myself. 
And that's just another thing I think we need to do. We just have to be able to adjust ourselves in order to save this planet, because until Elon Musk and them find some other way to make life on other planets and be able to be sustainable, this is all we got. Is it? Is it? And we can't go around killing it. Okay. We can't go around killing it, man. You heard it here first. You did. So a while back, I remember you had the plant daddy hangouts. Are you planning on bringing those back by any chance? And maybe I'm asking because I got to be a little speaker and was featured on it. And if you do bring it back, you know, I'd love to hop on it again, man. So look, I'm going to tell you all this. We'll see. Okay. TBA, TBD, to be thought about in the future. I have talked to the people. We have looked at some potential guests, but I don't remember exactly what happened. I know Derek went through a little depression at one point, so I dropped a lot of plates, a lot of of forks fell on the ground. And that's when company comes over when you drop that silverware on the ground. That's what they say. But you drop that silverware on the ground, and I just I've been picking up pieces, and that's just a piece I haven't gotten back to yet. Okay. But it is something that is on the corner of my mind. So I do just just know if enough people keep asking me and who else is on this thing, myself and I am the J and Nelson about it, Nelson of Black Men with Garden, it'll happen. You know, we just have to. I think we just have to make some time. All right, so everybody heard it here first. Go right now and start DMing Black Men with Gardens and DM Chocolate Botanist here and tell them you want to bring the Plant Daddy Hangout back. Dang right, because we do have some ideas. Again, it's just give us some grace, party people, because it is a whole pandemic. And I work in vaccines, so I haven't really stopped unless I take a day off or a week off. So give me some grace and we'll see what happens. You got it. I, you know, sometimes I forget about the pandemic. Not really, but <laughs> oh, do you think I, I got a couple more questions and I'll let you go, man. Do you think I'm ready that the people who came to plants and gardening during this pandemic, do you think they will stay there once the world returns to normal? I hope so. There's a lot of people who've done it because they've had more time. So once the world goes back to whatever normal looks like, if they don't have more time, I, I definitely understand. But I hope that they can find a way to put it as part of their, their life. A good friend of mine from my church, I helped him get his garden together and started really in North Durham. And he showed me today video of a cantaloupe that he's been growing. These beautiful, big cantaloupe, you know. And he showed me pictures of other things that he's got started. And when I say like he he just jumped in, like, you know, most people I say, okay, start slow, you know, grow one thing, you know, when but he's like, I've been I did this before, like, you know, let's go. And he jumped in buckets and raised beds and all types of other stuff, growing a bunch of plants indoors, like doing it for the people. So that it is awesome to see him do that and continue that. And again, I hope that it is something that can continue once folks can go back out and go on the parties in the movie theaters. That's my hope. That's my continued, my thought. And even if they have to scale back, that is okay, because it's nobody's contest or competition. Granted, I'm already winning, but it's nobody's contest or competition because whether you can grow several raised beds or you just take care of one bed or the flowers in your front yard, that's good enough for, that should be good enough for you. Whatever you can do, let it be good enough for you. Yeah, man. Don't try to compete with what you see on social media because you're not going to win because you won't. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I mean, well, you're not going to beat me and I don't think they'll beat you. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> they definitely won't beat me because I'm also the judge. So I'm the judge of the competition. Therefore, I always, I win. always like, win. That's how it works. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. I cannot lose because I've already rigged the game in my favor. That's it. That makes perfect sense, man. I'm glad it does. I think that's good, man. I think that's good. That's good. Let everybody know where they can find you on social media. On social media. If you are on the YouTube, I want you to type in the crazy botanist. Because I cannot get a personalized YouTube little thing URL yet because I don't have enough subscribers. And if I could just touch a thousand subscribers, if I could just reach out and grab it, a thousand subscribers, I will be most happy. And I am putting stuff up there on the Instagram, on the YouTube now, rather, so you can see me there. You can always find me on TikTok or Instagram at The Chocolate Botanist and on Facebook, The Crazy Botanist. 
And am I forgetting something? Of course, my website, thecrazybotanist.com. So yeah, yeah. You can find me on any of those places and you can see my happy face. All right. Once again, listeners, I need everybody, please, to go to YouTube and subscribe to this man's channel. Why not? Please do. Why not? I know you enjoyed the interview. Why not? They they need to. Yeah. They need to do it today. I agree. I agree. All right. So now yeah. it is time for part of the show that I call the rapid fire section. Insert gunshots or drum rolls here. Bam, 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 bam. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. All right. Are you? I ask you random questions. I wrote down some questions here. Can't show them to you during this conversation. And I had a few more that I didn't ask, and we're going to put them in this section. Ooh, First okay. answer that comes to your head is the only answer that we accept. Are you ready? Oh, I hope so. All right. Question number one. What is your least favorite thing to grow? Oh, I don't say that around the plants because then they'll start to die. So next question. Okay. (laughs) And I can't even ask the next one because the next one is what is your favorite thing to grow? And I don't want any of the plants to get jealous. So we'll just keep on going. If you say if you say favorites and least and most, they start to get upset. Now, granted, Derek loves growing roses. I love growing any flower. But I also love all of my children in this house. There we go. (laughs) Okay, there they go. But if I don't like something, I don't grow it. Next. Next is if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? And money wasn't an option. Just where would you move money to? Where would you an live? Option. You know, I recently went to California and it was very gorgeous out there. And if I just had the ability to see my family, like as I can now, we're a couple hours away and I could just drive there and back some magic portal or something. I would live there. What part of California? There or Africa. Um, San Diego was gorgeous. Like y'all, the San Diegans were beautiful. San Diego's not really fair, man. It's like seventy-five to eighty degrees, three hundred and twenty days a year, man. I lived through tornadoes. I've lived through hurricanes, Floyd, Fran, and all the other ones since the nineties. The only thing is, I've never been through an earthquake, so I don't know how I would feel about that. Okay, but yeah. Okay, I'll take that. What are some of, man, I don't want to say favorite, but what are some medicinal herbs that you grow or that you will always have near you? Um, I love growing mints because there's just so many different ways to use them, mint and rosemary. Generally, they are here in North Carolina perennial. And I'm trying to grow elderberry. So we'll see what happens. I just don't have any berries yet, probably because it's not in the ground, but we'll see what happens. All right. No, can it? That's his favorite. That's his favorite. Yeah, keep going. I'm ready. Wrap it. Wrap it up to me. You said Africa. What part of Africa would you move to? Really, any part. I haven't been there. I would just love to be anywhere in Africa, seeing some beautiful black people doing beautiful black things all the time. Me too. I just, I just want to be out there seeing it and just living and touching all the stuff and being like, we did this. This is us. They came and stole all this from us. And it's still here. We still got something. Hey, you know what I learned the other day? I was unaware of that Africa can fit like three and a half, three and a half United States can fit inside of Africa. Oh, Africa is gigantic. Like the maps, I think because of like the way they've had to like adjust maps, there's a bunch of YouTube videos I watch. So in order to make maps work where they take a round, a, a 3D round circular spherical thing, and they put it on this paper, they've had to like shrink stuff. So like Ireland, I think they said, or like something like that looks, or Iceland looks bigger than Africa, which isn't real. Yes. Yeah. I probably watch. I probably, I, I learned that on YouTube too. I went down one of those little YouTube rabbit holes and ended up watching about 20, 30 videos. It's crazy how that happens. Okay. If you were eating a burger, would you put ketchup or mustard first? Ooh, always ketchup. Okay. If you had to eat one food for the rest of your life for every meal, I mean, so it could be potatoes and you could have hash browns, french fries, boiled potatoes or whatever. What food would it be? That's a good idea. That was a real good one. I was just saying potstickers. I got this addiction, this little addiction for potstickers. I get little frozen ones and I get these pork potstickers. And I tell you, I will sit here and eat these things as if I am out on the marijuana. I will eat. A bunch of pot stickers. And I just said that because they're so easy to make. You put them on the top of the stove 
little water, little oil. You cover them up. And then you take them off, and they're crispy, and they're good. And then I they got this little sauce with I love pot. Every day. You could have it every day. Popsicles every day. Pizza every day. Okay. Chicken every day. There's so many different things I could do. But potato, that was real versatile. So it, that's a smart idea, but I didn't go there. I love popsicles. That's, <laughs> that's my answer, even though you didn't ask potatoes. I'd eat potatoes at every meal. Wow, that's smart, because that's so versatile. Mashed potatoes. You could have all types of that would be good. That was smart. You you thought about this one. Yeah, I did that. One time at the plant daddy hangout, you asked me what fruit would I be or what plant would I be? What plant represents you? Oh, I did. Yeah, and that you caught me off guard with that one, so I needed to be prepared with one today. <laughs> I see. I want you to know, chances are I didn't even come up with that question. Okay. It was something that they had. I was sitting outdoors, and you all couldn't see it, but there was a little computer right off of the camera. Yeah. So anytime I wasn't doing what I needed to do, then people let me know, like, look, you ain't asking, you ain't telling nobody about yourself. And I'm just typing, like, of course I'm not. This isn't about this me. about me. Duh. Duh, this is about these plant daddies, not me. They know who I am. And if they don't, they just should Google and find out. But no, that's good. I'm glad you thought of that. We sure did ask that question. It did call me off guard, man. All right, that's the end of the wrap-up fire, or rapid-fire. I don't know if I call that rapid-fire, somewhat rapid-fire section. I want to say thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being so passionate and such a dope individual that just loves plants and everything related to plants, man. I think when we talked about creating that safe space earlier, I think you are one of the predominant figures helping to create that safe space. So I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you for making space for me on your show. I have been a fan of you for years. Sometime, I want you to know. And I was like, one of these days, I'm going to connect with this dude. He don't know it yet. He don't know it yet. So when they had you on that plane, they'd hang out. I was like, this is phenomenal. Because he, he ain't know it yet. But one of these days, you see, it was going to happen. And then I was like, one of these days, I'm going to get out there to Texas and do something. So you just keep your earbuds out because I'm going to be hitting you up for something in the future. You'll see. That's cool. We'll talk man. more about it. That's cool with me. I'm trying to start with my mask on. Of course, I'm going around the world. Not really the world. I'm going to visit a bunch of different people related to gardening. So when I end up in North Carolina or anywhere near North Carolina, I'm hitting you up, man. You let me know. I am vexed. I'm not waxed, but I'm always ready to party. And I can throw on a mask like nobody's business. I got 30 of them. Yes, sir. Me too. Me too. All right, man. Thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well done, man. Have a great day. Thank you. Before I let you go, I need you to do more than one thing. First, I need you to like, comment, subscribe to the podcast. Second, I need you to tell a friend or two about the show if you enjoyed it. And if you have anybody you think I need to talk to, I should interview, send the name over, put it in the comments, or send me an email, igrow at Big City Gardener. And check me out, man, on Instagram and on all social media platforms, Big City Gardener. We out. Oh, almost forgot. Just grow it. <laughs>